If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah 51, 1 through 6, pages, page 1, 611. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me. My nation for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out, the gar out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will be dismayed. Our New Testament reading is Romans 12, 1 through 8, page 947. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has designed, assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all have the same function. So we, though may many, are one body in Christ and, and individually members of one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Thank you, Mia. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love that you show to us repeatedly each and every day of our lives. We thank you for, Lord, this morning being able to gather together as your people to worship you, to give you praise, to hear from you, and to respond. We thank you, Lord, for your word this living word that you have given to us to, Lord, hear 
and to be able to understand your will. Pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, and Lord, give us ears to hear this morning that we may honor and glorify you by living out, Lord, our lives according to your word. We praise you, Lord, and we give you thanks. We pray this all in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Thank you all for praying for me and um, uh, just uh, giving me encouragement. Last week I was at the Gospel Can Retreat up in uh, Paradise, Pennsylvania. So while you guys were here in Dover, I was up in Paradise. Uh, and uh, I was able to uh, guest preach for their, their retreat. And so um, although it was a great time there, I, I sure did miss Grace. And so it's, I'm glad to be back. Uh, today we are in a part of scripture in Romans chapter 12 in our New Testament uh, reading uh, that talks about giving and that talks about serving the Lord and being one in Christ. And uh, it's it's interesting because uh, in Romans 12, this comes from the lectionary for this week. And so uh, most of the time, the pastors take the scriptures from the lectionary and we go from those passages and we preach. And It just so happens that today is also the day where we have our ministry fair, our grace ministry fair, where we gather together and we look at all the ministries that God has given us and how we can serve in the church. And although I'd like to say that it was all according to my master plan to have the sermon and the ministry fair and all these things come together on the same day, I can't take credit because I'm not that smart. Uh, And it's, it's really by the providence of God that we are today in this scripture of Romans chapter 12 on the same day that we are looking to how we can serve one another and serve the church. And so uh, join me as we hear the word of the Lord. Briefly this morning, I want to examine what Paul means when he says to us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and to live and be members with one another. These verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I think are quite popular and they're well known, I think, within Christian circles. And I'm sure if you've spent any sort of time in church, you've probably heard these verses before many times. In fact, we at Grace frequently use Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 uh, for our call to dedication on Sunday mornings. And we even sing a song frequently here called Living Sacrifice, right? As a living sacrifice, we sing this all the time. And so I think we know the the scripture and we've heard it a lot. But what is Paul actually trying to say here? And I I think it's not anything secret, right? It's not a mystery. But I just want to examine a little bit deeper what Paul means when he says that we ought to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that we ought to live and be members of one another. We can't read and understand these verses in uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, without understanding the context of Romans chapters 1 through 11. Paul begins chapter 12 by saying, I appeal to you, therefore. And as you all know, maybe there's a well-known preacher that used to say, when you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. And so as we examine chapter 12, we need to understand what chapters 1 through 11 we're saying. And Paul gives us a great lesson in these chapters about God's grace and love. And we just finished the sermon series about adoption where we went through uh, some of those chapters, right? Seven and eight. 
And in chapter 1, Paul begins by telling us that we are futile in our minds. He says our hearts have been darkened and our minds are futile so that we're chasing creation and worshiping creation rather than the creator. And in chapters 2 and 3, he explains that we're all sinners. This is, he's, not, he's saying, I'm not just talking about the Gentiles, I'm talking about the Jews alike, that all fall short of the glory of God, and we are all equally sinners. And so he continues on by saying, because we are all equally sinful and sinners and deserving of the punishment and the wrath of God, we are all equally saved through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and faith in him. Both those who have been circumcised and uncircumcised all deserve God's wrath, and we are all then only justified all by faith in Jesus Christ, just as Abraham was justified by his faith, not by his works or by the law. And so, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, giving us peace and reconciliation with God the Father. And so, we are called sons of God. We have been adopted into his family as children of God. And we are no longer slaves of sin or death, but we are now slaves of righteousness to live according to the spirit that God has given to us. We have been conformed to the image of God, and we are continuing to be conformed to the image of Christ every day as we are sanctified in the already and not yet paradigm. All of this is a mystery to us who would not be able to understand God's perfect plan if it had not been shown to us through his grace and his love through his son Jesus Christ. So therefore, Paul says, knowing the grace with which we have been saved, knowing the love with which God has loved us, he says, how shall we respond? Well, Paul says, by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We live in obedience to the will of God our Father rather than live by our own will. And we allow the Spirit to conform us to the ways of God rather than allowing the world to conform us. Paul says that this is our spiritual worship. Now, in our day today, we might not immediately pick up on this understanding of the imagery and the analogy that Paul makes of sacrifice this animal sacrifice, this food sacrifice that Paul is talking about here. However, the original audience, as soon as Paul says, as a living sacrifice, they would immediately have picked up on the sacrificial laws, right? The ceremonial laws of the Jewish customs. Of course, we know that Paul is not alluding to giving sacrifice for your salvation or for purification of your sins because he just spent 11 chapters saying that that's not how you're saved. You're not saved by the law. You're not saved by works. And so he wouldn't suddenly revert to an analogy that tells us now we have to begin making sacrifices so that we can be saved. So what is Paul talking about here? He's saying that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sins. He is the sacrifice once and for all. So then what is the sacrifice that Paul is alluding to here? Well, he's alluding to the thanksgiving and the offering sacrifices that the Jewish people would have, been, would have given to God when they were blessed or they were required to bring offering or tithes to the Lord. They would bring animal and food sacrifices to the Lord. 
Paul is saying that even those ceremonial rituals have now been abolished in Christ. The sacrifices for offering and thanksgiving are no longer things that we bring to the altar to burn. But Paul says the sacrifices that we bring to the Lord are now ourselves. We are the sacrifices that we bring before the Lord. We offer our entire lives to God so that he may use us accordingly. And we are, Paul says, to present ourselves in a way that is holy and acceptable to God. Just as the Israelites would have been required to bring a sacrifice that was holy and acceptable to God, Paul says, now you are the living sacrifice. And so present yourselves holy and blameless before the Lord. This brings to mind in the Old Testament those who might have brought sacrifices to the altar as an outward display, maybe to fulfill the law, but inwardly, They were still rebellious towards God or living a wayward life. Paul, Paul, he exhorts us today not to offer ourselves to the Lord in a legalistic way or out of just some kind of obligation or maybe to gain or receive something from the Lord. Maybe we sometimes come offering gifts to the Lord so that we can gain his, His love or maybe get an answer, answer to prayer or something like that. Paul says, no. Come before the Lord. Offer yourself to him wholeheartedly. And he says, being reminded of the mercies of God. Paul says, come and give yourself to the Lord. Not out of a duty or obligation even or, or because of legalism. But he says, Remembering the mercies of God. So from chapters 1 through chapter 11, the grace that you have been showed, the love which he has given to you, poured out to you through his son Jesus Christ. He says, by those mercies, remembering that, offer yourself before the Lord as a living sacrifice. So we give ourselves to the Lord and we are enabled to live by the Spirit and we allow God to transform us how paul says be transformed how by the renewal of your mind all of this is through the power of god who saved us through his son and enables us to live out our faith and so it's a balance of understanding grace and works not grace or works or grace versus works but paul is saying grace and then works a life of faith knowing that we have been freely saved and have nothing to do with our own salvation, yet, as he says in Romans chapter 6, to walk in newness of life. To walk in newness of life. In Ephesians, he says, to walk according to the calling which you have been called. To walk, to do, to be transformed daily, to be more like Christ, our Savior. And Paul says this transformation is deeper than just changing your outward appearances or picking up on better habits or maybe going to church more often or joining the choir or doing these things. He says, before all of that, those are all good things. But Paul says that the transformation that happens happens on a deeper level. It happens in your heart and it happens in your mind by allowing the Holy Spirit to change and transform you We are transformed, Paul says, by the renewal of our minds. It's kind of like being reprogrammed. I don't know if you guys know the movie The Matrix, but it's it's a whole 
new world. It's another perspective. Your worldview changes. Everything changes when you allow the Holy Spirit to transform you. It is, a, it is like being reprogrammed by God to think like He thinks rather than to think like the world thinks. To live with the heart of God rather than being true to your own heart, right? We hear that a lot. Being true to your own heart or being true to your feelings or who you think you are. No. Being transformed by the renewal of your mind is to think like God and to have the heart of God, not your own heart, to live according to God's ways, especially in an age of technology, right, this 21st century, where it's so easy to be, to be influenced by the world everywhere we go. There's so many outlets that are calling our attention, that are calling us to, to influence us and tell us things, and, and the TikToks, and the Instagrams, and the Facebooks, and your, your smartphones, and your TVs, and your smart TVs. TVs are smart now, and computers are smart now. Everything's smart. Right? And everything is trying to call for your attention. And especially in this generation that we live, Paul is telling us, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and do not be conformed to this world. Offer yourself holy and acceptable as you present yourself before God. And it's, it's kind of like a, a correlation here. Where in, verse, in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul says, you were once futile in your minds. You didn't know who God was. And you've chased after your own ways and you chased after the creation instead of the creator. He says, when once you're futile in your minds, God has now renewed your minds. So that, Paul says, we may now be able to discern the good an acceptable and perfect will of God. In renewing our minds, Paul is telling us that once we were not able to understand God's grace, but now we can. With our minds, once we were not able to understand or perceive God's love for us, but now we can. We don't have to guess whether God loves us or not. We don't have to guess whether God has saved us or not. Now, because of the Holy Spirit, our minds have been renewed. Our hearts have been regenerated. And we can have assurance that God loves us. We can have assurance now and live in faith that God has saved us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can come to a knowledge and assurance of God's will for us through his son Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 tell us, long ago, he's talking about the Old Covenant, right? The Old Testament. And many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So now we don't have to guess. We don't have to look to a prophet or someone else. I don't know God's will. Does God love us still? Is he gonna, you know, we don't have to guess anymore because God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And through the first 11 chapters, Paul is saying, through Christ, God loves you. And he has saved you. And there's no more condemnation in Jesus Christ. So we also don't have to guess about what God's will is for us. 
I think a lot of times that's the notion, the misunderstanding that God has this secret will for us, this secret mysterious thing that he wants us to do and we just have to kind of tap into, you know, this secret knowledge or a higher knowledge and then we'll know if we pray more or we're holier or... No, the Bible tells us that if we offer ourselves, when the Holy Spirit renews our minds, when the Holy Spirit is working in us, that we will understand the will of God. In Henry Blackaby in Claude King's book called The Seven Realities of Experiencing God, the first reality is to understand that God is always working around us. The key to understanding God's will is not that it's mysterious or secret or that it comes and goes or sometimes God is moving around us when we can see him and sometimes he's not. But the key is that God is always working in our lives. He is always working around us. He is always at work in our world. And our job as Christians, as the people of God, is not to say, oh, is he working or not? Is, is he doing something? Because he is. He's always working. And so our job is to discern what God is doing in our lives, to discern the will of God in our communities, in our church. That is our job. Paul is saying not discern whether God is working or not. No, he says to, to discern what the will of God, what is good, what is pleasing to God, what is acceptable to discern what is perfect. And Paul tells us that God does this through us, but he doesn't do it alone. We don't, we're not given this supernatural power, this, this power by the Holy Spirit to say, okay, now I know what to do and I can do these things and God has enabled me to do it and to do it alone. No, immediately after Paul talks about the renewal of our minds and offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God and to understand and discern the will of God. Immediately after that, in verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul is saying, Yes, your mind has been renewed and has been filled with this great knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ and salvation. But he says, after that, don't suddenly start thinking that you're higher than everybody else. Don't suddenly start thinking that you're, you know more than everybody else and you have everything and you know the will of God and you can do all these things. No, he says, as a matter of fact, think not more highly of yourself, but think with sober judgment. And then he says that we are all members of one body. What is Paul saying here? He's saying in, verse, in chapters 1 through 11, you've been saved by this great grace of God. You have been loved by this great love of God through Jesus Christ, his own son, who has atoned for your sins on the cross through his death and resurrection and now he says, now you live out your faith. Now you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. But practically, what does that mean? It means that we come together as the body of Christ to do the will of God. 
Paul is saying, in order to live out our lives of faith, in order to discern the will of God and to do the work of God, he's saying, we need each other. We can't do it alone. Paul tells us that we must humbly submit to one another and work together to fulfill God's will for us. Paul uses this analogy of the church as the body with many members with different functions and different parts, but all coming together and being united as one body. And it's not only here in Romans, but in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians, he continues to give us this analogy, this image of the body that's one body with the head being Christ Jesus, yet many different members with many different functions all coming together, needing to come together under Christ to do his will and to do his work. It's not an option of we, we, we should or maybe we can. Paul is saying we must. We belong together. That's what he says. You belong to one another. We need each other just as your own body needs every different body part to function properly. Paul says, we belong together. Because, because God has given us all different functions. He has given us different gifts. He has different, given us different roles accordingly so that we may build each other up in love and glorify God our Father. It'd be funny Right? If your body want, you know, talked to you one day and said, okay, well, you know, hand, I think I'm ready to you know, venture out on my own adventure. So hand, you know, and then that, it's funny, right? And it's, it's odd. Nobody ever says, I don't need hand. I don't need foot. I don't need neck, you know. No. <laughs> we need our entire body with each differing function so that we can operate correctly. Paul lists these gifts, some of the gifts. He said gifts of prophecy and serving and teaching and exhorting and giving and leading and acts of mercy. And unfortunately, I don't have time to go in depth with all of the, the different gifts. I think that's a different sermon series. But the point that Paul is making here is that we serve God according to the gifts and the resources that he has given to us. And we do it together as the body of Christ. We don't do it out of obligation. We don't do it out of pride. But we do it because we recognize the love that God has for us and that we need to rely on God. And one of the ways that we show that we need to rely on God and trust and depend on God is that we trust and we depend on one another. Leon Morris, in his commentary in Romans, he says, the apostle here, Paul, is not writing about some human excellence. It's not a matter of the believer making an earnest effort in order to produce some spectacular result in Christian character or achievement but it's something that God has given. And Thomas Schreiner, in his commentary in Romans, he adds, the gifts exercised cannot be attributed to the moral nobility of human beings. They are evidence of the graciousness of God who has supplied his church with means to strengthen the community. 
The text implies that all believers have such gifts. For Paul simply says having gifts, which suggests that all believers enjoy such gifts. So some might be sitting here thinking, well, I just, you know, I don't, I don't think I have the gift. Well, the Bible says you do. You might say, oh, I don't think I'm qualified, or, or, you know, the church seems to already have so many people volunteering, I don't think they'll need me. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you have a part, you have a function. No matter what everyone else is doing in the church, you also have a part. Well, I don't have enough time, you know, oh, I'm so busy with all these different things, and I don't know, I'm, I'm hard-pressed coming on Sunday mornings. But then we think about the lengths that we go through to love and serve our children, to love and serve our family, to love and serve our friends, to love and serve our jobs, etc., etc., etc. And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody because serving out of guilt is worse than serving at all. And, and, and as a matter of fact, as I was thinking about this passage and I was th- thinking about our church grace, just how great our church is, just how many people serve and how many people love the Lord and, and show it through serving. But the Lord says we all have to do it together. And if you just look around, you'll see not only diversity in age and in gender, but in culture and language and background and ethnicity and talents and cultures, right? One of my gifts is eating. <laughs> and I th- think it comes from my Koreanness, right? <laughs> we need each other, right? Because I need someone to make good food. Because <laughs> I can't. That's just a silly example. So you can probably guess where I'm going now, right? Where, where I'm going to close. And it's not the ministry fair that's happening right after the service <laughs> that God has providentially given to us on this day. It's not about the ministry fair. That's your application. That's for you to apply. That's between you and God. Where I want to lead us now is back to the cross. Why do we serve? Why do we offer ourselves to God? I call upon you to look and remember at what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. I call upon you to look and remember how much God has given to us. That he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not give us all things? He has given to us the gifts to serve him. He has given us the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I now call upon you to look upon the amazing grace that God has given to us.